ora and welcome to 76 Small Rooms, a podcast about architecture from Aotearoa, New Zealand. This is episode 23, the third of six interviews from this year's NZIA in situ conference. Today we're bringing you our interview with Beijing architect Ma Yansong, the founder of Mad Architects. Ma gave the final talk of the conference and it was a roller coaster ride through a kind of dizzying array and variety of work, which I thought was a fantastic way to finish the conference and prime the attendees for the drinks function that followed. Much of what Ma spoke about alongside his work was its relationship to nature. It's a very different approach to many of us here in New Zealand. All four of us were lucky enough to talk to Ma shortly after his talk and Tash led with the first question. Ma, firstly, thank you so much for um, uh, agreeing to be on the podcast. And we've just seen your um, presentation of really phenomenal work, which um, uh, is located in various different um, places around the world. One of the things that um, struck me when I was watching um, the images and the presentation of your work was that you're really designing not just buildings but but scapes, and by that by that I mean that it's the architecture but also the the context around it. Is that an import, important for you in terms of um, the approach to your work? Yes, I I always try to understand the architecture as a child. I try to remember what I um, experienced when I was uh, young. Uh, I grew up in Beijing, so I remember the city as a very playful place. The courtyard, of course, the rooftop, the mountains, the lake, um, the, the, the sceneries. Um, then after I become architect, I know that they planned uh, with the intention. They planned not just for beautiful landscape, but also for functions, for urban functions, also for spiritual, um, sim- symbolic uh, things. So that's why a city is so attractive for everyone, for people, you know, just uh, uh, live their lives, for people, intellectual people, for young kids, everyone. Um, so, so I can kind of uh, find that uh, <clears throat> um, uh, inspiration in the classic cities, in the classic gardens. I think uh, it's about overall experience rather than objects. Um, so, but as a modern architect, you often only deal only part of the the job. There's urban planning. There's a building, there's a landscape, interior, everyone seems uh, could detach from from each other. So I think uh, if I would, uh, if I have an opportunity, I would uh, um, 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 imagine the overall atmosphere of the place. Because uh, for, for every average people, like like when I was young, you go to a place, the memory, the understanding of a place is a continue experience. I think it's a little bit like um, Chinese medicine versus what uh, Western <laughs> medicine. Um, if you have a headache, uh, they don't treat your head. <laughs> they, they, they talk about overall balance mm-hmm. of your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, probably <clears throat> uh, 
um, we should learn more from that uh, to understand our our environment. Mm -hmm. yeah. We've seen a lot in the last hour of what's come out of you and your work. Mm -hmm. I'm quite interested in what goes in. What do you consume by way of pop culture and, and uh, influencing? What sorts of things feed you creatively? Uh, when I was a young student, I wanted to become a filmmaker to make uh, science fiction movies. So I was thinking maybe if you put your imagination uh, visually, in the cinema, so people go, they, they see this. Uh, that could happen in the future, and then after they come out of the cinema, this memory could affect how they think and how they uh, behave in reality. So I'm really fascinating about that. I think as architect, probably I was thinking the same way. I think it's uh, important that your practice is... Uh, <clears throat> It's a, it's a, it's a dealing with how us as a human being imagine things. Mm -hmm. The some people say better future, you know. But, but you 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 think uh, something unknown, something uh, um, uh, different could happen. Then you can put it uh, in your practice at the. Make it uh, real. Yeah. Um, that's a fascinating. Um, yeah, I think um, that's it. <laughs> you and you mentioned that um, I think something a lot of architects relate to. We'd like to think that our buildings and our work leaves a mark on people and it inspires them and things like that. And I'm thinking about your, your Beijing 2050 mm. sort of work. One thing about 2050 is people will have been experiencing some of your buildings for 40 years. And I wonder, when you talk about them being inspired, I wonder if you have an idea of what kind of inspiration you might like them to have. You know, when I when I give a title to 2050, that means I don't expect those projects being realized before that. Before? Yeah, right. so, so that was actually a futuristic... Yeah, a look forward. Uh, look forward, yeah, yeah. Uh, imaginary uh, project. I didn't know there's a one guy who wants to build a one bubble. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> there, there are actually three projects in the role in this uh, concept. One is uh, the Tiananmen Square being yeah. filled by the trees. trees. Yeah. So let's 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 see, uh, but I don't see in the near near future we could do that, right? And then another one is a floating city. I didn't show the image, but uh, the goal was uh, to discuss whether uh, the new urbanism in Asia could uh, have a different topology than American mm. um, way. Uh, there must be because uh, there's we have a. Th so far, 30, 30 years, uh, 10, urbanization, and then there must be some new new idea coming come out, right? So, so the, the, I think fifty years is a, it's a, it's a concept to say we have to look at the future. Uh, by the time I proposed this was uh, 2006, when everyone talked about uh, 2008 Beijing Olympics. Mm. 
it, it feels like uh, there's uh, no nothing um, after 2008. Mm. There's no 2009. <laughs> so that's why we said 2050. Uh, talk about the future and um, and uh, I, it, and then it's, it's okay. It doesn't happen. But uh, if you illustrate this, just like the science fiction movie, the image will affect how you believe mm-hmm. what could happen. Mm-hmm. So, so that's how your imagination, even if you don't, you don't uh, immediately put into reality, but eventually will, will affect how people act in reality. Mm-hmm. So that, I think that's, uh, that's used to be the tradition in architectural, architectural world. You know, in the past, mm-hmm. the archigram, for example, yeah. um, uh, metab- uh, mm-hmm. metabolist, the yeah. Japanese. Yeah. There are a lot of young, pe- young people as a, as a profession, they, um, they're, they're, they're very critical about the, <laughs> the current uh, status and they challenge the mainstream, they do something new. They try to communicate with, uh, with the general public, they, they project the future. I think that's uh, very weak now. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, that we're losing the <laughs> the the, prof- the the profession that uh, you know how public um, can communicate with uh, this profession. Yeah. If you don't uh, talk about uh, common vision in the future, they will just give you order. Right? They will say, "I think this is better for us. Let's do this." But uh, I think. Uh, I think uh, architects as an intellectual position in society, they need to, people are um, looking for the profession to give uh, some proposal about the future. Do you think the profession has lost the ability to put forward utopian visions in the way that we have done in the past? Exactly, exactly. Mm. They're afraid. Mm. I think uh, because now a lot of successful architect um, is defined by how many project commission um, you can actually do. So, and then the the, the commercial world and political world is so strong. Um, um, So in in the many case, in order to gain the opportunity, architects has to uh, follow s- some kind of a value from from the politics or, or the, the the commercial forces, and uh, that's a very bad example. I think. <laughs> I think. Uh, I, I think architects used to feel so honored to not being accepted <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by the mainstream culture. Mm-hmm. You know, remember 1988, there's a MoMA exhibition. There's all the young architects around 40 years old. They did uh, so uh, daring drawings and uh, they deconstructivism. Uh, uh, and then later they become important architects. Mm. Uh, I, it, it's hardly find the, this spirit now. Mm. Mm. <clears throat> How were your visions for 2050? Received, particularly Tiananmen Square, which is such a powerful place. Um, I can only say from my my perspective, at the very beginning, there's some 
a media interview about this, uh, but they don't want to publish the image in China. And then maybe f three years later, they start to publish. And then maybe five years later, I see a piece of a grass on the square. <laughs> maybe they feel the square is a... May, I don't think they see my proposal. But, uh, but it's, uh, they must think uh, it's uh, too dry. Maybe bring, bring a little uh, green is a, is a symbolic, you know, for more human. Um, so I think the, the, it's changing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You talked before about architects being provocateurs in a way, about challenging people's expectations around buildings and imagining new possibilities. Mm. And what's remarkable about your work is that you've not only imagined these amazing buildings, but you've brought them into reality. Mm. So I wondered if I could ask you how you've managed to do that. Of course, you've had partners and developers working with you, but mm. how have you managed to realize these fantastic visions? We did, um, the first two years, we did 100 competitions, wow. including proposals and quick uh, sketches. But uh, that's a lot of work. Uh, yeah. So wow. everyone can do that. You will win one <laughs> <laughs> out of uh, 200, for sure, or maybe two. Uh, that's how you started. And then once you uh, get this uh, credibility, and uh, it's easier. And maybe we were lucky because the first uh, meaning proposal was uh, outside China, in Canada. And then <clears throat> that was the uh, year 2005, when all the architects, in Chinese architects, they're arguing about the Olympic major projects being com commissioned to foreign architects. There's an and then we did something overseas, so some client think, okay, maybe we can we can try these guys. Mm. Yeah. And then, yeah, I, that's uh, how he started. That's an incredible pace of doing yeah. a competition a week for two years. Yeah. How many did you win out of 200? <coughs> uh, we, we win sometime, but they don't build it. We, we, yeah. we actually didn't build anything out of 200, <laughs> but uh, that's not good news for, for your audience. Uh, but, but we went some, and they built, um, and they, built um, they didn't uh, sign a contract. But I didn't really care. I think, uh, I think before that, I was in school, and uh, you, you just do projects like that right? yeah. in school, day and night, and you, you, you even pay tuition yeah, yeah. <laughs> be in, to being in the school. So there's a, and so, and then you can do whatever you want uh, when you have office. Um, I'd like to talk about material, I guess. So many of the forms you make mm. must require such... Um, you know, complex and new ways of forming forms. Mm. There's so much compound curvature and, you know, expansion and rain and all of those things. How do you learn those materials and how do you solve and specify, you know, specify them and solve the construction problem? Mm, we learn what, what we doing <laughs> things and we study from other people. Yeah. And we, we, we work closely with the engineers and uh, uh, material specialists. But I, 
I actually, if you look at my work, I try to limit uh, my the material I use. The I, number of materials. Yeah, the yeah, number yeah. of materials. Um, some people, my friend, some ar artist friend, even say my architecture is a dematerialized. So I don't want to show too much mm -hmm. material and the detail, mm. uh, even structure. Sometimes we have very challenging structure, but I try to hide them. Uh, don't I want to, sh you know, I want to create the the, the atmosphere. Uh, if you see too much things, you do, you will be distracted, mm -hmm. distracted by things. Um, <clears throat> um, so we use a lot of white yeah. and uh, wood, sometimes silver metal. Yeah. So, but uh, when we use a new material, we need to see the proof that they have they have done before, right? I I have to be confident that uh, we can use it. Um, do you do a lot of model making and mock-ups and you know one-to-one -one mock-ups as part of the process of, of solving all of those? A lot of that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We even change on site. Yeah, yeah. For it, when the, the contractor will listen. Yeah, they won't listen. <laughs> <laughs> but so you have to involve emotionally. You you send. Uh, we we send people on site and they try to be friend with them. They, they they sleep in the same dorm. They become friend and then they beg them to change. Sometimes, the 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 look uh, the uh, the absolute tower, uh -huh. the second tower. We we try to use a different uh, uh, glass for the for the railing. And then when they put on, because I couldn't travel so much to see the mock-up, when they put on the building, it look all green. Because uh, the, we have this uh, white print on the other side of the glass. Glass has a green, it's a not a super clear glass. And then they already ordered all the glass and they already constructed floors. And then we said, I cannot accept the green glass. And, <laughs> and then we go there and then we find a way, we flip all the glass to have a print uh, white on the outside. Uh, on the outside. Yeah. So we do a lot of this. Um, we, we sometimes we, we argue, sometimes we cry, sometimes we back people, sometimes we try to find a smart way. All, 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 everything we can do to, to make it better. I think that's a universal yeah. experience. <laughs> yeah, but I find in, I went to Switzerland, I went to this barber shop designed by Peter Zumthor <laughs> and the barber, barber said, <coughs> I cannot touch anything, I cannot change anything, <laughs> but because in Switzerland you have to ask uh, architect permission to, to change anything. <laughs> that's, okay. that's a, that sounds that's, like a good rule. That's a very respectful <laughs> architects. You have offices all over the world now, and I wondered how you. <coughs> choose to divide your time between projects because there must be many things competing for your attention. Mm -hmm. So how do you prioritize where you're spending your time? Not the location, but the projects and the other responsibilities. I travel a lot, but in fact, I, I, I work more virtually <laughs> on my phone. Mm -hmm. When I move, uh, I have uh, all the group project group and all the design members on my phone. Um, and then I every day I check every project. So we have a, I put all, the, all my 
projects in front of my personal contact. And then it's, right now it's so hard to find my personal contacts, all the projects in front. Um, and then you have, we deal with uh, most emergency issues. <laughs> That's a priority. <laughs> um, when we have a longer time, we can relax a little. You talked about not wanting to be digital, but you must rely on <clears throat> digital technology yeah. a huge amount within the office. But how, how do you... How do you resist that? How do you how do you keep that craft in the making of the things that you do if you're trying to resist it at the same time? I I don't use the computer. I I do sketch, um, and then I am alert to to people who who does something look too much like a digital architecture. <laughs> Digital architecture has a style now, and they have a definition how what kind of architecture is uh, digital. So when they say parametricism, I I don't think a tool should uh, a, a design tool should take uh, so much important position in the process. Mm. So I don't. Uh, um, it's okay that the, our engineers designers talk about our projects from technical um, point of view but I would talk, I, I have a, something else to to say I think uh, I think just like in the old time people use a stone to, to make a temple, a temple they could talk about how to use a stone but there is, must be other reason those buildings become architecture yeah you grew up in Beijing, yeah, and you do many projects in China. How do you feel about the opportunity to shape um, that country's modern architectural culture? Are you conscious of that as you're creating your works, which are so prominent and so uh, full of imagination? Yeah, actually, more and more. At the beginning, I was thinking, I'm an individual. I'm, uh, I'm doing whatever I feel right, um, but. Recently, when I observe the Chinese landscape, uh, China, uh, architecture scene, I feel um, I feel uh, there is a strong um, belief in the modern architecture. People do research and they about uh, local Z a lot. There is, I heard uh, uh, there's a, like ninety percent research about the articles about the local Z around the world that was uh, written by Chinese. Wow. And they, they taught that in school and uh, in the architectural scene they think that generation are heroes because I think the reason not because they really like them maybe they like them but the real reason because they were already become the correct architecture. Their, their role models for for that the whole the global um, architecture scene easy to accept. That's like a textbook. Uh, and uh, in China, people like to be good students. And uh, you you have to make sure you study the right thing and you do the right thing. So they. <coughs> um, 
very um, the 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 architecture scene and the the critics and then cultural is a uh, very much <clears throat> limited in my point of view in 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 that time. Um, but the the problem is, uh, uh, I think, like like I mentioned before, after the thirty years urbanization, there must be something new happen, different than the Western historical modern thing. Uh, even you don't know what's going to happen, you should uh, cut your connection <laughs> from the from that history. That's how you started. Um, I think uh, that's that's why I I feel our practice in China it's um, <clears throat> it's at least it's a proof that uh, can show there's another way um, for many young architects um, yeah and. Uh, and we never associate with any big institutions, government. So I think those are important message to to young individual people. Why why do you not associate with the with the <coughs> institutions or government because of loss of control? Mm. Yeah, I think uh, I think uh, being a um, a part of institution means you have to lose your personality. <laughs> uh, maybe you say you know you don't have to listen this leader or that party, but you feel you're part of some kind of a group interest or values. I don't like that. I I don't even know what. I'm going to do in five years. How can I guarantee to other group? Uh, so I'm more interested in developing myself as a as a young you know, designer. So so I encourage all the young architects. They do that because sometimes they lack of confidence. They feel oh, this is so powerful climate. I have to be part of something something to to be accepted. But I think uh, our experience shows a different way. And Andrew asked about this on stage, <coughs> about context, but it would be good to, to hear you talk about it again. So the Japanese kindergarten project, which, for example, sits in is very different yeah. to its surroundings. In our architectural education, you know, that idea of resemblance and blending in is a strong theme. This okay. is very different. And you answered that, you know, um, it's very different from its neighbours, but hopefully it would become part of the new history. Mm. And I wonder if you can just talk a bit more about that. <clears throat> if I don't know the family and uh, the history of the family, I don't know what to do there, because uh, I could do anything there. Uh, I can draw something, send a sketch, whatever, and then I could uh, become a, um, a different architecture, um, but not necessarily meaningful. Um, so I think 
after I, I hear their story, I try to be a nice guy this time. <laughs> Sometimes I don't care being a nice guy uh, because your neighbors are so tough. But this time, everyone is so nice. And I, I agree, I totally changed myself. I, this project is so different. And some people hate me. They, they tell me they like this project. They, they, I don't. I hate your other project, but I like this one better because it shows the soft side of you <laughs> being so considered about uh, what's happening. But at the same time, I have to. Uh, I I I think uh, I'm I'm um, uh, doing something uh, different. Mm -hmm. It's also. It's also important to me. Uh, just um, like I said, my, that's maybe my understanding about the history. I always want to do new things. Mm -hmm. I, I, even sometimes I hate myself because I cannot make some fundamental new things. Make maybe it looks new, but it's not. That worries me. But I I never worry to to do something really new. I, I think that's necessary, and that's uh, when we. Uh, that's what we expected when we see real old things. Yeah. Right? They, what they did uh, in that time, and then hundred years later, what's different? Hundred years later, what's new? So you talked. This is where you talked about this idea of there being no now. There's just this continuum. Yeah. And so there's, there's sort of no real present in a sense. It just becomes this. Yeah. Line. I, th I think. Uh, I yeah. I think there's a. Uh, there could be something new, but without any connection to the to the old. But there's also something look old, but there's a, actually nothing to do with old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and we see that a lot, right? I mean, yeah. In, in the cities, you know, kind of Well, Amin showed the yeah. slide of the, you know, lots of examples mm -hmm. like. So I, I yeah, mm. I thought those things will last uh, long. Mm. Those are fake history. So, <laughs> but uh, the, what we need to do is uh, to create a new history that uh, continue from the the past, because that's the nature of architecture. It lasts too long. It's uh, just uh, last uh, many decades, even longer. So, I have to be examined in history. We've taken a lot of your time, and we're nearly up. But we maybe have one last question. Um, I wonder why do you think your clients choose you and come to you? They're looking for something different. Um, but sometimes I use this opportunity to explain them why I'm different. <laughs> um, some people look at the uh, the different, uh, looking for difference because um, uh, they want to be special or some other people they have a identity crisis so um, they are they're wondering about the future uh, I my my architecture as a result look different from the reality and the past but there is a, a reason that uh, that um, I think it's also linked to the historical value, or, or at least I think I believe myself. I'm inspired from 
some traditional architecture or gardens. Otherwise, where this uh, architecture come from? I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. So mm-hmm. it must be some linkage. So uh, from my my childhood or from my background. Now I'm trying to discover uh, this. I think this is a um, what I uh, inspired from the the past, but being translated by me I I want them to be new to be different uh, and then I see the connection eventually I hope uh, I hope uh, by discovering this kind of architecture people can be more curious about what happened in the past instead of only look at them as a study case so that's um, my experience okay my young son thank you very much for taking time to talk to us my pleasure enjoy the rest of your time here thank you thank you so we ultimately had to let Mark go um, to his busy schedule and the drinks afterwards. Reluctantly. Uh, reluctantly. Um, and um, fangirling aside, um, there was so much to kind of unpack there. We kind of skipped across all of these topics. And before we started recording this session, we were just reflecting on how many kind of aspects we chimed on. Mm. But one to probably start with, because it really stuck with us, and it was among many of the provocative statements he made, is this idea that unlike movements like Archigram and and the era of that time, the 60s, where there were very provocative and utopian stretching visions of what society and cities could be, he feels that we're weak in that regard now and there's not enough people making those kinds of assertive and forward-looking and utopian and visionary kind of statements. There was something you were very interested in, Tash. I think we all were. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I I, I think... I remember being at a tech conference uh, 10 years ago and thinking, oh, my goodness these people are talking about a vision of the future and in the same way that the modernists might have talked about a new vision um, for a future at that time. And I think the interesting thing to reflect on now is, you know, that that tech has kind of, some of those visions of the future are now sort of starting to look a little more dystopian. Um, Christopher um, Hawthorne put images up of of, um, the autonomous vehicles, which actually promise Mm. a very disconnected future, quite opposed to the one that the sort of early tech visionaries um, put out, which was this very connected society with, with, you know, tech as an enabler. And and so I think that that Ma's comment was quite timely, you know, architecture perhaps should be putting forward more visions of what tomorrow should look like, not just in terms of a built form, but in terms of how we live. I guess the tension or perhaps the reason why we're in this position is, is as we've started to develop our cities more, there has been that real tension between the object building architecture just mm. as, a, as a kind of singular movement and what it means to create great cities and and the reality of that is that we need good urban fabric we couldn't have a you know a a city full of gherkins it Mm. just wouldn't work so what 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 does um what should though you know what is an architectural vision of the future how do we start to look at that we've become very apologetic Mm. yeah i did think a lot of the conference had stunning work but it was very polite and contextual Mm. and I've got a really low tolerance threshold for statement buildings because I think a lot of them are kind of empty and purposeless. 
but I was really won over by Mai Yan Song's work, partly because he articulated so well um, how he was trying to find an architectural voice for his emerging culture in China and a vision of the future that mm -hmm. they could hold on to. But also because I think the way he integrated a lot of his buildings into landscape was really convincing to me. And I haven't been to those buildings and experienced them in person, and that might be slightly different. Um, but they were um, incredibly beautiful, and a lot of them also felt very appropriate to the circumstances. And importantly, quite democratic in the way he kind of incorporated you know, walkways or public spaces on rooftops and things like that. There was a degree of... Um, landscape about them yeah. they became landscape that made them um, really seductive and not in a superficial way I thought I felt I was really inspired by him partly because of that challenge you were talking about Tash that he's laying down to say why can't architecture be big and brave and deeply inspiring um, and I think we've kind of forgotten about its power in that sense and you know possibly because like you said the cities that we live in shouldn't really be focusing on statement architecture when we have a whole lot of other problems we yeah. can deal with but we don't have to be either or is I guess what I'm thinking well and we should be looking perhaps at how architecture directly addresses some of those other big big problems you know and and I guess the other thing that I you know back to to Ma's work the, the other thing that struck me was that he talked about um, this realization uh, that the landscapes that he was looking at in an urban context were made they weren't natural mm. actually mm. they mm. were a, a construct and and i think that in new zealand here we you know the rm the, the rma is is all powerful and it sort of sets um out very clearly to protect the natural environment but we've forgotten in a way that our much of our cities and our urban environments are constructed the the landscaping there is a construct and so why um shouldn't we um uh, perhaps address that uh, in a more complete way. So you mean instead of mimicking an unconstructed landscape and nature in the city, accepting that this constructed artificial landscape and nature in the city is a construct of itself? And you kind well, of we, we, people, humans, have constructed the landscape yeah. that we see in the city today. Mm. This is this is not what it looked mm. like sort of 200, 500 years ago. Um, so Perhaps we should be a little bit more real about that and mm. say, okay, well, actually, if we're building in an urban environment, you know, we should acknowledge that and, and kind of, without being, I'm not suggesting that we should be um, uh, wasteful or look to degrade things, quite the opposite, but just sort of acknowledge that actually we are working in constructed, altered mm. landscapes. I quite liked how he was sort of saying that you know, why should I be contextual in a place where the context is shitty? You yeah. know, there's yeah. this city block where the buildings are around a crap and they don't have any aspirations. It's like, I don't want to fit in with them. I don't I don't like them. I don't want to be associated with them. So why don't I create an alternative that, um, yeah. he said something that shows like, a new way um, forward? Yeah, he said something like, I was looking around at the environment and I thought maybe the environment is wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is great. And I think we don't question that enough in our cities and that's possibly why we get mediocrity a lot of the time because we have buildings trying to follow the rhythm of neighbouring buildings that were cracked to start with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we were, perhaps there are, there are certainly places or opportunities in the city where we could be thinking about a desired future context mm. rather than... Mm. And, and he said there. exactly that about the kindergarten project. Yeah. So, um, you know, you can look this up. It was in Japan, it retained the sort of 
timber skeleton of a building then built this white shell over it and it you know it does not attempt to blend into its surroundings and um you know he did someone i think it was uh, john or someone asked in the interview after on stage after his talk about that and he said you know he just actually hopes that that building will become part of the new history in that area which is exactly that he's like this is the context this will be the context this is the future context it's not relating to the past context it can become part of the future context and i think that tallies really nicely with this idea of going he talked about a continuum and there being no now yeah and there's a line and you know so this building might be the first one in a step towards a different context in that village might be 10 years away, might be 200 years away, mm. in which that building forms part of that new context that someone else then comes and works alongside. He also had a great sense of humour, and you can look this up online as well, listeners. He did a proposal after he finished being a student in New York for this kind of crazy, unbuildable billowing structure that would act as a memorial for the World Trade Center um, buildings, Yamasaki's Twin Towers. And it was kind of as high as them and multicolored and sort of like a a very fluid scarf floating over the lower part of New York City and he described how a Beijing uh, Chinese developer called him up and said he was quite interested in this project that he'd seen of his and they had a two-hour meeting and it turned out at the end Ma realised that the developer was more interested in building the Woolworth building that was in the front of this rendering than the actual structure <laughs> that Ma had created behind it and he had a lovely self-effacing yeah, quality yeah, yeah. that I think was quite winning in a sense yeah, yeah. yeah. a bit of luck with uh, his proposal for those little um, infill buildings Within existing um, villages in, in China, not villages. In Beijing. Yeah. yeah. The Beijing was, 2050. That's thing. right. And it was those little bubbles. Yeah, little yeah, silvery the, pods. Which toilet, um, toilet facilities that are scattered through the. And some of them are happening now, right? Yeah. Uh, certainly built one. He presented one that was built. I thought that was quite um, good, really. It's um, interesting. Yeah, that was a kind of built little insertion within the. Um, the uh, the, the city. The other one was the the foresting of um, Tiananmen Square, which I thought yeah. was, you know, it's a big move. Um, so both architecturally big move to close off that public space, but politically that yeah. must be um, pretty amazing move as well. So, um, and I think another thing too is this marvelous opportunity to sort of see when we talk about context. Marvelous opportunity to contrast how he talks about his practice and how we were educated. And in the room with us when we were talking to Mar was Andrew Barry who was a tutor of mine at architecture school. And such an emphasis at that time in the late 90s about the, the, the story and the narrative and the driving principles behind you. And then he talked about that thing in Mongolia and he's like, I went into the desert, I imagined a giant boulder in the sand and then he pulls up the slide and like, there it is, it's, a, <laughs> it's just a giant boulder yeah, <laughs> sitting in the sand. Amazing. Yeah, and you're like, that's reason enough. I mean, yeah. I know you have to have a mastery of all the things that precede that, but it was so refreshing. Yeah. Uh, you know, that the form inspiration or that was, it was as simply expressed as that. Yeah. Amazing, eh? Um, I think the other thing that was really illuminating was... Um, the number of competitions he entered. Yeah. Was it? 200 in his first... 202 years, I think, was yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he said he won one or two. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and neither of them got built. Yeah. Mm. I mean, the whole experience I found just terrific food for thought. I haven't stopped thinking about it. So mm. it's really yeah, cool. yeah, that's right. I mean, such contrasting work. And just the variety. I mean, there's a sinuousness to some of the projects and they blur the line even between building and sea you know they go into the water but then the Hollywood Hills building is almost fortress like mm. and contained in that in that block with quite a 
it'd be interesting to experience it in person, but it looks like quite an austere wall. Mm. And then the little houses, little yeah, monopoly yeah, houses yeah, yeah. on mm. top, almost a totally different mm. approach to site and how you touch the, the land, you know. And architects like him that get big projects are often kind of written off as indulgent because they're presumed to have clients who are mm. um, deep pocketed and who are prepared to, um, you know, let them run with the checkbook. But Betsy Williamson was saying that she has been um, passed or two Mae Young Song's Twin Towers, apartment towers that he designed in Mississauga, Mississauga near Toronto. And she was saying how smart the planning was and yeah. how efficient it was, even though these buildings talk and twist they have the same floor plan that just twists up mm. with the form of the building and how that would have been quite efficient to yeah. construct, actually. Um, they don't look like they would have been. They look like they'd be yeah. actually complicated. But she was kind of complementing the discipline that came with that. Mm. So, Ma Yansong, everyone's favourite new architect. <laughs> um, that's our chat with Ma Yansong. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, look them up. It's incredible work. Um, and thanks for joining us on this episode. Thanks also to NZIA for arranging our interviews with the speakers at, at this year's in situ. That's it from 76 More Rooms. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.